This morning we have uh, Bob Hopper preaching for us, and he's uh, he's an old friend of some of us. Oh, hello. So, uh, El Shaddai. What's the name El Shaddai mean? Oh. You know where I'm going with this one? God the Mountain One. It, we, we translate it as uh, God Almighty, or uh, the Mighty One. Um, so, so you're wrong and you're right. Uh, he is referred to as the, the mountain God, but actually not the God of the mountains, the mountain one. And it's a reminder, it's always a reminder of what event? The glory cloud. The glory cloud. There you go, Nancy. Nancy came to this one and said, I heard a sermon from you on the glory cloud, and I just haven't heard a sermon on that since then. Like, that uh, when God came down on Mount Sinai and spoke to the people, gave them the Ten Commandments, remember they couldn't get near the mountain. They couldn't touch the mountain. He had to send a mediator up there, who called a mediator, Moses, to whom he gave the Ten Commandments. He gave the law. He gave his word. Uh, of course, we know there's a lot of story behind that, but there, there's something about that the, the mountain in Scripture. And, and there's always mountains associated with God. And here, in this passage, I hadn't thought about this until you mentioned this, Jesus goes up on the mountain. He doesn't just go up there to pray or anything. He calls his disciples up with him. I really believe there's something going on there because he's, he does this several times. He does this with um, the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, the Mount of Olives, where he goes to pray. He dies on um, uh, Mount um, Calvary. Um, there's always something about um, the mountain. And I believe he is telling us, even here, is that he, God is accessible. He's no longer the, the God from a distance. He is the God who's in the person and work of Jesus Christ, his beloved son. And that's who we're going to study today. So my, I've got my, my kids, my kids, I love saying that, they're my grown children, uh, are going to pass out an outline of sorts. Um, it, it, uh, boy, this, this reminds me of, um, of way back when, when we were in Florida, uh, we, I used to do Sunday night services uh, as part of my uh, pastoral, assistant pastoral responsibilities. And people come in all these different entrances, and so the kids during this break for the sermon pass out all these outlines. Now, don't be afraid here. There's a lot of verses. I'm probably not going to get to all of them. Um, I, I do like to reference uh, the scriptures a lot, uh, and, and I'll tell you why in a second. But um, but I probably won't hit all these things. Um, actually, let me tell you this. So there's a you may have heard the, the expression, the analogy of Scripture. Is there a mic or anything that I'm supposed to be speaking into at all for recording or anything? No, oh, right there. Okay, there it is. Good. Is it all on? Right. Yeah, it's gone. All right. So I want to make sure I don't wander off. I normally don't. I'm usually tied to a microphone. This is kind of freeing. So, um, But I kind of feel like, um, what's the movie, the Christmas movie where they, they, he walks backwards into the pool? Uh, it's kind of feel like I'm going to do here. <coughs> um, this principle that's... Uh, was strong in the Reformation called the analogy of Scripture. Have you heard of that? It's basically often expressed as Scripture interprets Scripture, but it really is the idea that that Scripture is one, has one author, the Holy Spirit. Even though there's some 40-ish uh, uh, authors, we're not sure exactly how many. The Psalms had a bunch of different authors. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews, for example. But around 40 authors. But it's got one overriding author, and that's the Holy Spirit. And it's got one basic message. It's the, the plan of redemption, God's plan of redemption for the world in Christ. And so, um, oh, and, and so when we come to a passage like 
today when, when we're, we're going to look at um, Matthew 5, 6. I'm going to read all of the Beatitudes. But I'm going to, to help us to understand what Christ means in here. But to do that, we need to understand it from Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. And not only that, Jesus is the one who interprets Scripture for us. In fact, we find out from what Jesus says, He says, you search the Scriptures because in them you think you have life, or you will find life. He says, it is these that speak of me. So we need to look at the Scripture to understand Christ, look to Christ to understand the Scriptures. So, what I've given you, all that to say, uh, I've given you a lot of verses that I use in, in working through a passage, this passage. I probably won't use them all, hopefully, because it'll take too long. But I'll re- reference some of them or refer to some of them. But a lot of them are just for you for later on, so that you can hopefully come, come back as you go through this sometime in your life. You go through this, you may say, oh, I've got a list of, of verses. Or in the next week or so, you'll go through some of these. And look at the wider context for these. So let's look at our, our passage today. Um, it's printed in your bulletin, I believe. Well done, thank you. So this is the word of the Lord. Seeing the crowds, he, Jesus, went up the mountain, went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Here ends the reading of God's word. You know, this, we, we all know this has been a crazy year. My, my kids are always, not these, these, my older two sons are always talking about, I'll be glad when 2020 is over. And, and as I look back on, on this last year with all the things going on, um, it wasn't just COVID for us. I lost a, a sister um, the beginning of last year. Um, I had to uh, move in with my mom down in uh, Hemet because uh, my sister was the one taking care of her pretty much full time. Um, I might step in here just a little bit. Um, and I was the only one in the family that was able to spend the time uh, taking care of my 91 year old mom. Uh, and helping transition her uh, out of that house and sell it. And, and it was, so it was a very busy year. COVID was crazy, of course. Um, I just had been hired to do a job, and the job died as soon as COVID hit. Um, and, and the other work I had going on that were, it was, had been planned came to a screeching halt. So you, I, I would think I'd have all this time um, to, to grow, to spend time in the Word, spend time with God, and I get to the end of the year and I realize I hadn't done that. I hadn't really progressed like I thought I should. I was really getting beat up over this in my own mind. And, and you mentioned Keller here, a quote from Keller, and uh, it was, I've been going through his, uh, his little devotional on the pro, in the Proverbs. He's got one in the Psalms, daily devotional in the Psalms, he's got one in the Proverbs. And 
It's great. It's surgery, though, for the heart. I, I almost hate to go to it every day because somehow he's going to use the word to just pierce my heart and, and open it up. Um, and and, it's, and I, I realized I was getting more and more wrapped up in my failures, my my unsuccesses for the year, in in both in life and from going for God. And and I I was picked up a book of. Uh, an old book of sermons um, by Geherdus Voss. It's called Grace and Glory. It's uh, sermons he preached in the early 1900s in Princeton. And he goes back to the basics. And in that, he looks at um, the Ten Commandments. I'm sorry, the... Uh, um, I'm sorry, he looks at the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Um, kind, of, kind of a new Ten Commandments, as some people think. Um, but this is what he says... Um, about that, and it really drew me to, 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 to think about the fact that maybe what I need to do is go back to the basics to understand what it is I've, I've been missing, why I'm dissatisfied. And, he and just, just, I just love this. This is kind of what drew me into it. He says, um, he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount itself. He says, for this discourse throughout presupposes that the disciples here instructed became associated with Jesus as sinners needing salvation and that their whole life and continuance is lived on the basis of grace. At the beginning stand the Beatitudes, which we just read, engraven in golden script upon its portal, reminding us that we are not received by Jesus into a school of ethics, but into a kingdom of redemption. Hit me like a ton of bricks. I've been looking at the, my life in Christ so much as ethics, as an, an exercise in doing something good for God. And as I... As he actually he looks at, at this this passage, um, uh, Matthew five six. Uh, hung, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. It caused me to, to to realize that I wasn't hungering and thirsting for righteousness, and I wasn't satisfied. And so, this passage turns out to be God's answer for those who aren't satisfied. And, and it actually goes a little deeper than that. It, it goes to people who think they can achieve God's approval. Um, it goes not just for those of us who, who realize we can't do it, but for people who are deluded think they can, either in their perfection or their relative uh, uh, success in, in, in pleasing God. And that's what we're going to get to today, is that this passage tears down all those false thoughts, false attempts at seeking, seeing, finding God's approval in things we do. So, let's start with, with this. Um, what is righteousness? When Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, what is it? Well, that's, I guess, the first thing we need to find out. What do you mean by righteousness? When we think of righteousness, at least I do, don't you think of perfection? It's some, something good uh, or approval. Um, this perfect stuff that you put into the the, uh, the service today. It's, it's not it's, it's the approval that we seek is often not God's approval. We substitute God's approval because we often figure out we can't get approved by God, and so we kind of push that down in our subconscious and we seek the approval of other people. We seek the approval of our friends and, and family. We seek the approval of people around us. Um, and 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 there's. <laughs> 
there's basically three ways we do this, right? One is absolute perfection. We, we, some people are, are bold enough to think that they can be perfect enough to be approved by, by God, or you can at least hide your, your, uh, your flaws. And, and that was the religious leaders of the day. That's what Jesus is, is starting to, to, to uh, uh, address here. Uh, these were, they had the, the pass-fail method of grading, except theirs was 100% or nothing. And that's what they put on people. Now, mind you, they really didn't do that themselves. Uh, Jesus points out that, that they were hypocrites. Uh, they expected everyone else to do that, but they never did it themselves. Um, but theirs was a pass-fail, 100% or nothing. You know, go big or go home. Um, the, the, the other, the second level of perfection, I, I would say, is the um, more of the, the grading scale, the grading system. Like, you know, you don't need 100% to pass. As long as you get something, even a D will pass. If you can do better than that, you're okay. But, but you know, it's like some people are, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm okay. But Jesus is going to say here, no, it's not that either. And then there's this relative perfection, which I call it relative perfection. It's the fact we know we can't do, we, we really, well, actually, it's, I mean, it's, it's probably the most common self-righteousness. I, I consider this the laziest. It's the idea, as long as I think I'm better than other people, I feel good about myself. I'm justified. It's a more of a really down deep self-justification. I'm smug about it. And the way we go about that is tearing other people down pr- primarily. That's why it's lazy. It's not really an attempt to build ourselves up. It's an attempt to tear others down. So if I can't find something good in myself, at least I'll point out the bad in others. So I'll feel better. But Jesus says something interesting in Matthew 5.20, just a few verses later. He says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right there, Jesus puts the lie to everything. Even those people they thought, they looked up to at the time as the people that were the, the most righteous, they aren't righteous enough. All that is self-righteousness. Even the, the Pharisees, their 100% righteousness was a fraud. It was really self-righteousness. It was their attempt to make themselves look good to other people. In fact, it was kind of a crazy system if you think about it. They had 613 laws that they expected people to keep or themselves to keep. <coughs> Who can do that? But it isn't just that. That Jesus says you can't, you can't unless your, your righteousness exceeds their righteousness, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. You, and to enter the kingdom of heaven is to see God. There's no way to approach God with anything less than that. So what is true righteousness then? I should say everything else besides that is self-righteousness. Well, this is what Jesus calls righteousness. Or, or he describes it. He says in verse 48, chapter 5, or Matthew 5, 48, You thus, therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now to me, that's interesting. Because he, he doesn't say... <coughs> You have to be as righteous as your father. You have to be perfect as your father. And he points to the father as the standard, not the Ten Commandments. He doesn't say this list of of beatitudes. We call them the beatitudes. Uh, is another list of of commandments to achieve. 
And by the way, if it is, no thank you. People, by the way, think that the, the Beatitudes are, are more accessible Ten Commandments. They're, Jesus is kind of dumbing it down for us, making it easier for us. I think it was Keller that, that said something similar. He says, uh, uh, no thanks. If, if this is what you're giving me, no thanks. And, and for me, it's just in the list of things to fail at. So when you first look at this, you look at merciful. Am I merciful? No. I failed there. Do I hunger and thirst? No. Do I mourn? Do I really mourn? No, I'm, I'm pretty stoic when it comes to things. I, do, I, do I get into people's lives and really mourn with them and rejoice with them? No, I fail so much. But Jesus puts that standard for us. He says, be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. That's the, the, the standard that he gives us. And that's why he keeps going back into something beyond just actions. He goes into the very heart of God in, in the Sermon on the Mount. He drives us to look at things, our actions, not just actions, but what's behind our actions, our thoughts and motives. He talks about murder, and he says, you've heard, you've heard it said by the ancients that thou shalt not murder. He says, but I tell you, he says that if you hate your brother, you're a murderer. He goes back to the motives and thoughts behind it. Same with lust. He go, or adultery. He says, not just, it's not just adultery that's the issue, it's the lust behind behind the action. Why is that? It's because it's this, the actions, the thoughts, the, the kernels of those thoughts are really what brings us to those fulfillments. It's the, the problem is what's in our heart. If I hate someone, I have, I, I, I put myself at a distance from them. I, I, I'd say I had nothing to do with that person. And when I hate someone or dislike someone, or say, talk to the hand, what am I doing? What? I'm murdering that relationship. If I have lust in my heart for, for, for someone, I'm, I'm killing another relationship, the one that God has given me. Not only that, if we have lust for people or lust for things, we're some, giving, taking something that God has given us as something good and devaluing it devaluing it, whether it's, it's people we're, we're t- treating as objects or good things that God has given us that we lust after we're treating as objects. So God, Jesus constantly drives us back into the heart to show us where the real problem is. It's not, keep, it's not not keeping this list. It's the hearts that keeping us from God. Voss, in, in his book there, says, Why are evil and good with such insistency pushed back into the region of the heart? The reason is none other than that the, in the heart man confronts God. In the Sermon on the, on the Mount, Jesus drives us to the heart so that we are confronted by God. It's true, isn't it? If you ever stop to think about the things you do and you start really evaluating them and you start realizing your motivation, and you just kind of sit there and go, oh my goodness, you know, I, I've got nothing here that God would, would, would want from me. And, and what's the... what's even if you're not thinking that, what do we do when, it, when we sin against God or when we aren't, aren't fulfilling what we think God wants from us? We move ourselves away from God. We don't want to see God. And that's so true. We're confronted by God in the heart, in the recesses of the heart. When we are confronted with the person of God in the recesses of our mind, we know we don't measure up. 
And unless we're confronted with the glory and holiness of God behind those commandments, and again, God the mountain one, when we think of the, the Ten Commandments, we're not just to think about this list of do's and don'ts, we're to think about the one who gave them to us, that, that is expressing his character and his holiness in those commandments. We're to think of the one that, that the, 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 the um, um, Israelites were to think of the, 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 the greatness and glory of God on that, on that, that great uh, uh, mountain. We're, we're, we're to... We do the same thing. We, we just think of things as a list instead of thinking about God behind it. And if we're, we are confronted with the holiness and righteousness of God, we delude ourselves into thinking we are okay. Unless we're confronted with the confronted the holiness and righteousness of God, we delude ourselves, think we are okay. And the religious leaders of, of Jesus stated that. But again, they're not the only ones. We all do it. We come up with a system that works for us. So the only way we can achieve righteousness on our own is to change the grading system. But in doing so, we are no longer confronted with what the problem it really is. Our inability to do any good that pleases God because our heart is tainted by sin. I was thinking back, um, what, what brought home to me, um, when I was uh, uh, in seminary, actually before I went to Westminster Seminary, I was at Dallas Seminary, and Janice and I had moved to Dallas um, to go there, and I was taking a course on evangelism, and I absolutely, I hated it. Um, it was a chore for me. Um, I've never been one, I always felt like I was trying to sell something, especially the way this co- course was taught. And they were teaching us the, the basics of, of, you know, the outline of evangelism, how you talk to people, and then... And they had us going door to door, knocking on doors, and, and, and coming with some reason to, to say, "We're you know I'm representing my church in the area, and, and you know do you know Jesus?" Or, you know. And it, it just was never never satisfying for me because I always felt I was kind of pushing it. And uh, I talked to my professor about it, and he he said, "Look, you're going about the wrong way." He says, "You're you're, you're not trusting God in all this. So just ask God to open some doors for you, and and give you an opportunity to, to share the gospel. Bring him some to someone to you." That, that is searching for him. Okay, so that was my prayer. And within, I, I, I think, I want to say it was the same day, but it might have been within a couple of days. I'm sitting getting my hair cut in a place that's not far from our apartment. And I'm, I'm sitting there and there was a very chatty um, uh, stylist cutting my hair. It wasn't styled, it was just getting cut. And uh, her name is Rebecca. And she asked what I did. And I said, well, kind of sheepishly, I, I'm a seminary student. Oh, what's that? Well, I'm studying to be a, a pastor. Oh, really? So you're a religious person then? It's like, well, yeah. She goes, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to be religious myself. I've, I've, and I said, oh, really? And I said, what does that mean? She goes, well, I'm I really trying to do good. She says, I've never really been a religious person, but I realized there's something missing in my life, <clears throat> something missing in my life, and I really decided that I'm, I'm going to try to be a better person. I said, okay. It's like, like what? And she's told, lists off a bunch of things that, that she's trying to do. I'm trying to be nicer to people, and I'm trying to, to, to be kind to them, and try not to hate my sister. I can't remember who it was, actually. She said, just, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm just trying to do these things. And I said, well, that's, that's great. And I said, so if you were to meet God, and, and he were to... Um, say, are you good enough to enter into my kingdom, what would you say? She says, well, I'd say I'd try. I'd do my best. 
I try to keep your, your commandments. I said, well, that's great. And now I'm thinking back, this is where it's great because I'm thinking of all the great things that I've been taught in this class. And there's some great illustrations. So I pulled out one illustration. I said, let me ask you this. I said, what do you think is a righteous person? If you were to think about someone, what would you think would be your ideal of what a good or righteous person would be? I, I probably didn't use the word righteous, but a good person, somebody God accept. I said, somebody that would sin maybe 10 times a day? She goes, oh no, that's way too many. Okay. Um, how about seven times a day? She goes, yeah, five times? How about somebody just sin only five times a day? Do you think that would be good enough for to be accepted by God? And she said, nah. I said, okay, three times. Three times a day. She goes, okay. So we list, which, so, so three times a day would be someone that has worked this way to be good enough to be accepted by God. She said, yes. I'm smiling, I think, because you've probably heard this. So I said, let's do the math. Three times a day and 365 times a days out of the year, and you live for average lifespan about 70 years. That's what? 70,000 sins, roughly. Now, can you imagine going before God and saying, if he says, if he says why should I let you into my kingdom? And you say, well, I only sinned 70,000 times. And her heart sank. I mean, you can see just her, 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 her jaw drop. She just... And, and she said, oh, no, that's not good. And I said, well, it's even worse than that. And I said... God says, if you've sinned once, that's enough. He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Right? Romans 3.23. And, and I said, it's even worse than that, because there's no one that's righteous. No, not even one, that the scripture says. And he said, so, so all this work that you're doing, it's nice, but it's not going to be accepted by God. And she says, oh, No what am I going to do? What can I do? It's like, tell me, tell me. And at that moment, I realized what's going on in the salon. There was, had been other people getting their hair cut, two other people. There'd been a gal that had been kind of brushing the, 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 the sweeping up the, the hair on the floor. And I realized that it had gone quiet. Um, across from me, as I'm looking in the mirror, there, uh, it's because I was looking at her in the mirror. She's talking to me, cutting my hair, and I realized I've been kind of loud because people have been, you know, hair dryer. And the, across from me in the mirror, I can see the 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 the, the, the two people, the the hairdresser and the the the, the, the person that's in the chair. The 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 hairdresser has stopped. She's turned her her um, blow dryer off. Um, she's they're all looking. They're looking at me. The girl that was brushing the, the, um, the hair off the floor. She stopped, put her hands on her, on, on the, uh, the top of the, the, the broom. And I realized, oh my goodness, I'm on the spot. What do you say? Well, I just went through the Romans road and said, you know, it's, it's yes, all of sin and fallen show the glory of God, but, and, but God says in Romans 6, 23, that, that it's the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And I went through some of the basics of what it means uh, to believe. And, um, um, well, we invited her over. Uh, I invited her over to talk about it more uh, with my wife, Janice. We live around the corner. And she did. Uh, and through that, she came to faith in, in Christ. And 
Um, I mean, that's not the, the, the main thing about this, though, is that she is just like so many people, and Frank, just like us. We think that we can do things that are that are acceptable to God, but nothing is acceptable to God. So what it, he what what has to happen is he has to give us his righteousness, and that's what Romans three is, is talking about. Um, Romans three twenty three is buried. We always we, we use that one. We all sin fall and short of the glory of God. But I love this one because it talks about what really is going on here. It's not just a gift. It's a gift of God's righteousness. This is what we need. We need His righteousness. Jesus says, you must be perfect because your Heavenly Father is perfect. Well, this is how we get it. It's through faith in Him. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. Notice here, he says, the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So there's something else going on here. It isn't just a, a righteousness that's a thing that God gives us. That's the, this, the analogy of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. He, when he says, he says, basically pay attention to this. The law and the prophets bear witness of it. What, what's he talking about? Well, Look at Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. This is Jeremiah the prophet. The Law and the Prophets really is a, an expression that is, this, is the summary of, of all the Old Testament. But in this case, it was a prophet. It says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And this is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. The righteousness that the Lord had planned for us all along in His great plan of redemption, this unfolding mystery, as Ed Clowney calls it, is that this great gift of righteousness, the, 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 the thing that we need to, to no longer be afraid to approach God and when we're confronted by God, to be able to stand before God, to enjoy God, is the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. He is our righteousness. He not is just. He isn't just righteousness. He is our righteousness. First Corinthians one thirty celebrates this, and because of him, God the Father, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So now we have this right standing, but Jesus says there's more to that. He says not just it's great. It's not just as we say fire insurance. He see, Jesus says in our passage today, He says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. This great blessedness, this great state of, of, of being where we're, we're satisfied in, 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 in no matter what happens around us. It doesn't mean you're going to be happy all the time. And back when I was growing up, it was the, um, the, the, in the 70s, I remember the, the expression, that it was the be happy attitudes. It's like, well, be happy no, no matter what. No, he's not. He talks about you're going to mourn. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. There's going to be, a, 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 in a sense, of dissatisfaction or, or non-completion. But we're still going to be satisfied at the same time. That's what this idea of blessedness is. Is that no matter what, we're going to find our peace with God. But how do we go from seeking our own righteousness to this hungering and thirsting? Because this is something that God calls us to, a hunger and thirsting. Well, this the short version is going to be, because I don't have a lot of time, it's, this is the work of the Spirit. 
Um, God promised in uh, Ezekiel that he would put his spirit in, a, in, in you. He said, I'll put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. He gives us an, a new heart, a, a heart that changes, a heart that seeks to do, to be, to, to do, uh, to obey God's laws. It, it's a, it's a heart that, that, that not just seeks to do God's laws though, it's the, the spirit creates within us a desire for God himself. The desire like that we see in um, Psalm 42 is, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul first for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's just the opposite uh, feeling. That's the opposite approach to how we can't meet God in our sin, in our failures, in our shortcomings. Remember when we go to the recesses of our heart, we're confronted by God? That's a scary thing. But for some reason, the psalmist says, no, I want to meet God. And that's what the Holy Spirit does in us. That's what he creates in us. That's what Christ gives us. It's now longer, no longer fear of God, uh, something that drives us to, to develop our own self-righteousness and, and make ourselves feel better around other people because we know we can't be accepted by God. It's now a desire to seek God because we know we know, sorry Jesus, now we know we're accepted by Him. It's a complete change, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you've seen this, but we, what we're hap- what's happening here is we, we see the work of the Trinity involved in all of this. It's the work of the Father giving us the righteousness of Christ. It's the work of the Spirit giving us that hunger and thirst for that righteousness. So we would expect to see the work of Christ himself. And that's what we see in the last section. Um, it, is, it is the work of, of the Son. And, and it's the work of the Son. It begins with him being in us. I kind of skipped over first if you're looking at your outline. Right before that, where it says the work of sanctification, the work of... It's, it's the, Christ, the work of the Christ in us is to create this, um, this satisfaction, create this desire through the Holy Spirit by His life in us by means of the Holy Spirit. It says, I've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, and He lives in us, His desires become our desires. His desire for the Father becomes our desire for the Father. The scripture says that it was spoken of him and that his desire was to do the will of the Father. And that becomes our desire. So it's no longer something, a, a list of things that we try, have to try to, to keep for ourselves. It's now a desire to be pleasing to God to meet with him. <clears throat> the trouble is, even though we're saved from the wrath of God, even though we know these things, the sin that we live with continues to cause us to still seek self-righteousness. And that's where I've been living the last year. I, honestly, I knew these things, but I'd forgotten these things. And it, it, it helped me to, to, to remember that, that there's something, there's gotta be something more. There's gotta be something that drives us back to this time and time again. And here's back to the basics of righteousness for me, and, and, and possibly for you. The basic of righteousness is the focus on Christ, is to remember Christ. Uh, Hebrews 12 helps us so much with that. <clears throat> um, I'm really skipping way ahead, and that's fine. Um, at least in terms of, of your, of your, um, the, the, the verses I've given to you. Verse, uh, Hebrews 12 tells us, Let us lay aside every weight and every sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Start there. 
Jesus is the one who founded our faith. We're not here because we decided on our own to seek God. We have to believe the scriptures that says that there's no one who seeks after God, not even one. All have turned aside. All have gone their own way. We, that one illustration that, that we were being taught in uh, at Dallas on um, on um, uh, uh, people we, falling short of the glory of God, all of sin and falling short of the glory of God. They used to use the illustration that that everybody's trying to seek for God, um, but but everybody's falling short. We just don't make it. But some reason they forgot about the other part that says no one seeks for God. Just before that, no one seeks after God. No one, no one. Everyone should say we don't. We're not searching after God. I used to use illustration of of, uh, of shooting an arrow at a target because to, to fall short of the glory of God means to miss the target. So I use the illustration that was taught. You know, shooting an arrow. I can shoot an arrow at a target. You know that that and you can shoot it at a target. We put that target a thousand miles away. None of us will hit it. All have fallen short, and that's the gap between us and God. But the reality is, we weren't even going towards the target. We had gone the other way. We were going after our own target. And that's a problem with sin. We still go after our own target. We still go after our own self-righteousness. We still go after the things that make us feel better. And the, the best way I've found, and the, one of the great encouragements of Scripture, is to take our eyes on ourselves and put our eyes on Jesus, the founder of our faith, the one who brought us to Him in the first place, and the one who's the perfecter, the one who's going to get us there. He calls us to come along with Him don't look at it as a chore, but look at it as a joy to come with him. Um, and, and, and to look to Christ, to, to look for Christ in everything, see how he offers to satisfy our need for righteousness and to be satisfied in his work. And we seek to be satisfied in his work on our behalf. And here's some things that, that might, might be helpful in, in doing this. In, when, you, when you come to things that you feel are falling short, to, to, to remember that Christ is the only one that makes whatever you do acceptable to the Father. So how, how about prayer? Um, and when you, when you ask for people to pray, I don't know if you, when you guys are asked to pray, have you ever been asked, put on the spot and say, would you pray for us? I don't know if you're like me. My first thought is, oh no, my prayers suck. I'm sorry, I just don't pray well. I, I just, I, I fumble, I, 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 I'm always thinking about saying the right thing. And, you know, by the way, I, I, Romans kind of tells us that. It doesn't say our prayers suck, but he says, you do not know how to praise you are. It's the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, groaning too deep for words. He's given us the, the Holy Spirit to help us, to prompt us, but not only prompt us, to pray behind us and, 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 and for us. But it, it's even more than that. In the book of Hebrews, the great encouragement is that we have a high priest, uh, Hebrews chapter tw- uh, 4. Um, he says, um, or, I have Hebrews 12, 14, 16, that's not right, it's Hebrews 4. Therefore, since we have a high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and grace to help in time of our need. So so prayer isn't a chore, prayer is a joy because it's, it's offered through Christ to Christ brings it to the Father, not as it's accepted by Christ. No matter how insignificant or how short, how many shortcomings are in your prayers, your prayer life, it's not as something to say. Because this is where I live, honestly. I, I, a lot of times I don't pray because I haven't been praying. 
But the encouragement is, no, you, you face your, your shortcomings, you face your sins, you realize that that, that that is forgiven in Christ, you repent of that. This great re, the repentance that God gives us is, is something that causes us to, to want Him even more. It's that thirst to see God, to meet God heart to heart, to meet Him in His character, to see Him face to face, because Christ has is, is caused us to be accepted before God, and Christ brings us. That's the important thing to remember. Christ brings us before the Father. Um, I'm going to jump down to the one. I think we talk about, you know, we talk about the idea of, of Bible study. I will mention this: a Bible study. Why do we study the Bible? Is because we have to do a certain list, a certain a certain amount of Bible studies a day or verses a day. No, it's because because in the Word we find Christ. Remember, Jesus has said, "You search the Scriptures because in them you think you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about Me." Um, what about just doing? Uh, being a good person, uh, doing what is right to our, our friends and family. Um, we, we, we beat ourselves up because we fall short with those things as well. The encouragement to do those things is because Ephesians 2 tells us, we are His workmanship, creating Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We look at life differently. We look at chores, uh, tasks differently. We look at the things we fall short in differently. We, we don't just say, I, I'm given up anymore or I'm going to try to hide what I do. We admit our shortcomings to, the, to, to God and to each other and we, we seek to join Him in this great work because it's His work. The, the, any righteousness you do is His righteousness already. It's tasks He's chosen, He set up for us beforehand that we should walk in them. And even in worship here, planning a church or preaching, or, um, you know, in, 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 I don't know if you've had that feeling. I, I can only imagine that, that, that the church is, is kind of ebbs and flows. Sometimes you get, you get um, discouraged, and it's just like you do in your own life as a church. You, you, think, you know, I'm just, I'm just not doing what God wants me to do. Well, this is His work. He said He will build His church. This is not your church. It's not my church. It's His church. And when we worship, it's not our worship that, that comes to the Father. It's our worship in Christ that comes to the Father. I, I love the book of Hebrews that tells that says this about worship because it, it because our whole lives would be about worship. And to me, it, it reminds me as when we come to worship that, that Christ is the one that brings us to the Father, that every aspect of life Christ brings us to the Father. Hebrews 2, he says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in Him. And again, He says, "Here am I, and the children God has given me." You know what's happening to heavenly places when we come to worship? It's Jesus, God's beloved Son, is bringing us with Him as as sons and daughters of God, as adopted sons and daughters. And He says, "Here am I. I am the children You've given me." And He says, "In the midst of the congregation, I will sing Your praises." When we sing, Christ is singing with us. Our, our, our worship is acceptable to God not because of our efforts or because we're great musicians and great singers, which I'm not. I'm most of Some of you are pretty good, I can hear, but most of us fall short. It's, that, that's insignificant. He, he loves us because He loves His Son. And everything that, that Jesus, everything we do is made perfect in Jesus. And He joins us. He sings praises to the Father. He doesn't just make it perfect. He we are with him every step of the way. So when we fail, 
when we realize that we're falling short, we no longer have to fail, fear failure because Christ is always with us. He promises that. I'm with you always until the ends of the earth. So when we, when we find ourselves trying to earn God's favor, we're trying to earn the favor of other people, we're trying to accomplish things that, that we, we fall short in, or we, we take pride in our own accomplishments, we, we need to remember that it's, it's Christ who we serve, it's Christ who, who fills us, and that we are in need of Christ. I, I was struggling, I remember struggling with this, I, I struggled with this all my life, I guess. It was way back when um, I was taking a course um, from um, Paul David Tripp, if you're familiar with him, and a couple of the guys, the Christian Counseling Foundation back east, and um, going through some of this stuff, and I went, I were talking to, to Paul Tripp one day in, in, in the seminar, I told him, I lamented about, I, I, you know, I try real hard, and I just never seem to get there. And he, and he, he said to me one thing, and he, he says in his books a lot, he says, those failures, those times you fail, are just a reminder that you're always in need of a Savior. Let us never forget that we're always in need of a Savior, and it's Jesus Christ who brings us to the Father and gives us the accomplishment and, and satisfaction as we come in Him, He is the one who says, come to me, you will never hunger, you drinks of me will never thirst. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you so much um, that you are with us here today, that you, um, you bring our worship to the Father, you sing in our, uh, with us in our presence, you, you speak to us in your word, um, and, and you make um, the, the, even this meditation in your word acceptable to the Father continue to create that hunger and thirst in us um, for you for you are true righteousness continue to satisfy us um, as we come and, and seek you um, thank you for the uh, opportunity to, to come before uh, the Father with you today uh, and to be blessed uh, uh, in you uh, in your work uh, and through your finished work and continued work is our righteousness. In your name we pray. Amen.